Hello and welcome. Good to see everyone here. Second day of reInvent. It's, I love this show. This is always a great show. I like talking on the stage because I get a place to I can actually walk, which is unlike the hallways around here. <laughs> um, my name is Lee Atchison. Uh, I'm, I've been in the industry for about 29 years. I work at New Relic. I'm a principal cloud architect at New Relic. I've been there for about five years. And before New Relic, I was working for Amazon and AWS for about seven years. I, I built, uh, or I, was, I ran a team that built Elastic Beanstalk is one of the things I worked on. My specialty is primarily servers, microservice architectures, scalability, availability, those sorts of topics. So behind every app, there are teams. These are not just developers, but operations, customer support, executives, marketing. Teams of all shapes and sizes, and they're all running a digital business. A digital business is a team sport, and this team sport requires data. So to run your business, you need data, but what data do you need? Um, and how do you know the right questions to ask about that data? Am I open for business? Are my customers engaging me? Um, how is my business doing? Asking the right questions enables you to identify silos and allows you to tie these things together. This allows you to understand how this impacts your customers, your business. In a and it, it tells you if it can impact in a positive or a negative way. The right questions will identify areas of opportunity for you. The most important questions lead to the ability and the need for constant change. Whether that change is the application itself or the infrastructure or your business expectations, change is always happening. Yesterday at a, a previous talk I gave, I talked about the difference between static and, and dynamic applications and the infrastructure that runs them. Dynamic applications use service-based architectures. They use mobile and browser-based applications. They use dynamic provisioning of resources. And, and, they, and they provision those resources when they need them, as they need them on the fly. Provisioning is an important aspect of a modern dynamic application. Your performance monitoring tools need to grow, need to understand how to manage all aspects of your dynamic applications. Because change is a new norm. Dynamic applications use a dynamic infrastructure run by an operations team. Infrastructure used to be static. It was stationary, it was understandable. Your operations team used to maintain spreadsheets of, of uh, serial numbers of your servers and know exactly what was going on with every single one of those servers. And, and they liked that level of control. But in modern applications, they live in a more dynamic world. Servers are coming and going as needed. Resources, uh, Docker containers are being launched and terminated as needed. And developers are intimately involved in this process of building what the application requires from an infrastructure standpoint. Because as the infrastructure grows and shrinks and needs to meet the needs, your application is intimately involved in that process. In a static world, operations was in control. In a dynamic world, the application is in control of your resources, of your infrastructure. So why, why does this matter? Well, in this dynamic world, if you don't change, you don't understand how your system operates under change, you'll waste time firefighting. You'll point fingers to other teams and to other members within your team. You'll lose money. You'll make customers unhappy. And as we all know, unhappy customers tell other customers, or anybody, whether they're customers or not. It's not a good situation to be in. So success involves all three types of measurements. Is the software working? Is it meeting the customer's needs? And is it meeting your business needs? All three of these things are interconnected. It's all about the data. So I want to show you a typical e-commerce website. And imagine I've got a mobile app that you can use to purchase something from a, a website or a shop of some sort. So Bob does an app, uh, a transaction to purchase something, and that transaction goes through your entire system, 
hits a database, hits a bunch of services, comes back out, and he gets a good experience. You know, 300 milliseconds later, his transaction is complete. Sally, she logs in, um, but this time she does something, and the database is slow or a service is slow, and she gets a much worse experience. Sally's unhappy. Bob is not. Sally won't be a customer anymore. But typical external performance management tools typically will give you averaged or sampled results. On average, the application was a bit slow, 0.9 seconds, but that's not too bad. What you lose, though, is you lose the granularity. You lose the details. And the real answer is in those details. The real answer is how, on how your application performing. Those details matter. In a modern digital application, a modern dynamic application, monitoring can be done just by taking average or sample data. You need to take data at all points in your application process and all areas of your data. And that data has to be for all transactions. You collect tons and tons and tons of data. In fact, in a typical dynamic application, you collect more monitoring data than the business data your application requires. You have more data that's related to monitoring your application than you do the data that your business requires to function. And it keeps growing continuously. Every day, every second, everything that anyone does, every transaction needs to be kept because if anybody's using that, that, transa- that application, you have to collect the data exactly how they're using it and how the infrastructure behind it worked. All of it is important. And all parts of your application, whether you're talking about your business metrics or whether you're talking about your server monitoring, all of it is important. It all generates data that you must use to work together to analyze how your application is performing. So what data is it that you need? What data is important to you? What's your priority? Are you more worried about figuring out if you're open for business? Is your website working? Or are you more worried about, is your application working? What's the priority for you within your company? What's the priority for your company itself? These are two different ways to look at the same problem. So to help you decide what's right for your company, I want to build a framework here for analyzing your data and, and talk about the different types of analyzing data, of uh, analytics data, performance data that you might consider monitoring, that you might consider uh, uh, collecting in order to make your application work, in order to make sure your application stays working. So let's build this, this, uh, this framework. Uh, we'll start with business data. Uh, business data is about revenue. It might be about cart uh, uh, volume of customers uh, who are doing checkouts. Uh, it depends on what you're selling, but these are the business metrics that make up what your business cares about, the business results themselves. But in order to assure those business results, you must monitor and analyze your customer experiences. These are things like conversion rates, uh, social engagements, end-user performance, like we were showing on the previous set of slides. These are all the important metrics that matter for the customer experience of your applications. But in order to have a proper customer experience, you have to gather application performance and infrastructure performance monitoring. This is giving you information about slow queries, about uh, how you, uh, um, uh, app performance per scale, things like that. Understanding how your application works and whether it is working and doing what it needs to do in order to make that customer experience. Customer experience 101 is that performance of your website matters. If your website doesn't perform the way your customers want it to perform, they won't stay customers. The kind of parallel to the application performance is service quality doesn't matter whether or not you have a great website that performs well when it works if it doesn't work all the time. Service quality is important. And these metrics that you care about are things like uptime, uh, number of application errors or percent of errors that your website creates, 
um, whether you have successful deploys, those sorts of things. And on the other side, parallel to that is you're now in a dynamic environment with a dynamic engineering team. You're doing continuous deployments, continuous installs, continuous updates. The engineering teams are doing things continuously. They have their own metrics they, they, that they care about. How long does it take them to fix a problem? How long does it take to recognize that a problem needs to be fixed? How many deploys did they perform today, this hour, last week? How many of those failed? How long did it take for them to detect that the deployments failed? These are the sorts of measurements that they care about. And all of these, all of these measurements are important. This forms a framework of a journey for your company. As you, as your company determines what data it needs to, in order to monitor and in order to measure whether the company is, is working the way you want it to, you'll be looking at all of this analyst, analytic data. Your company can start this journey anywhere it wants. It may focus on wanting to make sure the, cup, the business is open and is performing from a business standpoint. Or you may focus on the application or whether the application is performing. It doesn't matter whether you start top down, bottom up. You, you will, as a company, follow this plan. You will start at one end or the other and you will work your way as you mature in your performance journey into, uh, into um, all of these areas of monitoring. And we're lucky enough here to have one of our customers uh, here today, too. Um, Gannett uh, is uh, a company that produces, has many properties, including USA Today. And Brian Lieberman, who's a systems engineer for the Platform as a Service Delivery Group within Gannett, is here. And we're going to have a Q&A session here on stage talking about this, and then hopefully open up to questions from the audience as well. So Brian, if you'd come on stage. Thanks for coming, Brian. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, great. So why don't you start off by telling a little bit about Gannett? Yeah, so uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, Gannett is a traditional publishing company. We've been around for quite a while. Uh, most of you probably know us better under our, our flagship brand of USA Today. And we pull all of our other brands under the USA Today network. So we have over 100 uh, local to national properties uh, that comprise of some you may have heard of, like the Arizona Republic, the Baxter Bulletin, uh, AZ Central. And so uh, what that lets us do is leverage our local coverage and also cover the stories that are nationally important under the flagship brand of USA Today as well. Cool. You're in the Platform as a Service group. Can you tell me a little bit about that group and what it does? Yeah, so uh, my primary role is under the Infrastructure and Automation group, um, and Platform as a Service provides uh, provisioning and automation services to the rest of the development teams inside of USA Today and Gannett so that they can you know, publish their apps uh, in an automated and fast fashion. Now, like a lot of digital companies nowadays are turning to becoming more and more of a, a, a digital first company, if, we, if you will. And that's obviously happening to Gannett as well. Can you talk a little bit about the motivations and the drivers that are making that happen for you and why that's important? Yeah, and it's not, it's, I don't think it's a secret uh, that, you know, being in the media space and us coming from a very traditional publishing background, uh, it's very uh, fast transition and transformative period for us to go into being a digital first company. And so for us, there's two main drivers behind that. Uh, we want to be fast and we want to be cheap. And so for us to get that speed and efficiency, uh, bringing all of these processes and being digital first and leading with digital as our primary source for all of our content is really important for us to be able to achieve those goals. Cool. Now, like. Uh, a lot of companies, um, and it, in different industries, it's different days. There's, there's drivers of traffic. You know, in in retail, it's the holiday season, and in every company, it's it's a different different area. You have drivers as well. What what are some of the drivers for you as far as traffic volume to your site and traffic to your to your system? 
Yeah, so uh, the, the obvious one for most people is probably breaking news events, right? Um, but the, the really unique problem for us with that is we don't get to schedule breaking news. So uh, we wake up one morning and uh, there's a world leader that's passed away. Uh, we get a, several multiples of our traffic in an uninspected fashion. And that presents a really unique and challenging problem on, on how to deal with that. Uh, you know, it's not like a concert sales where we have a planned on-sale event for our tickets. So uh, there's a couple times a year, though, where we get the opportunity to have planned events, and some of those might be the Super Bowl, or uh, the biggest one that came up uh, most recently is the U.S. election. And so for us, we get the chance to know that we have a planned event with increased traffic that we can put some effort into making sure that we get that right and we can serve our customers in the best possible fashion. Yeah, when I was at Amazon Retail, we had, obviously, you know, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, but we also had what we called uh, Johnny Carson events. Um, that's when, like, when Johnny Carson died, suddenly all of the products of all the BCR tapes, I'll date me a little bit, uh, of Johnny Carson yeah. in, in, in heavy supply. That changes all your caching and everything and all sorts of problems. So we ended up calling those unplanned events Johnny Carson events. Yeah, and, and that's a really interesting thing uh, you bring up is uh, – you know, typically we're big on caching at all layers. You know, we have our CDN that serves our customers. Um, we also cache, you know, our back end where all of our data is persisted to retrieve you know, article content and stuff like that. When it comes to events like uh, elections uh, and, and sports, uh, real-time type data, uh, we can't really rely on that crutch of caching as much. That also presents a bigger problem for us is how do we keep the most up-to-date results uh, and not really have that caching to hold us up as much as we'd like. Yeah. So you let's let's now shift and talk more about that specifically. So the U.S. election, for those who are, aren't from the United States or haven't been near a TV or anything recently, uh, the United States held their election for, um, for the president uh, on November 8th, and it's the biggest political event in our nation on a four-year cycle, and so it was, a, it was a huge event this year, obviously, as well. So you, there was a lot of planning that went into that day. So why don't you, can you tell us a little bit about um, what that day meant for you and what type of planning goes into uh, managing a day like that? Yeah, and uh, so for us, uh, you know, we expected that uh, we would obviously get a very large traffic lift. Uh, and, and for us, uh, elections is, you know, people typically think results night, right? But for us, the coverage actually spans almost three days. We have, you know, the coverage leading up into that night. And, and uh, our biggest uh, traffic lift actually occurs the next morning when people are waking up to say, how did, how did last night shake out? I got tired and I went to bed, so I don't even actually know what happened, right? So they actually wake up the next morning, and we actually get a large traffic lift around 9 a.m. Eastern around there, uh, where people are waking up and checking the results and saying, you know, who's, who's our next president, right? So, uh, you know, going into planning on that and saying, we know we're going to get a huge traffic lift, but we don't know exactly what it is. And we, so basically we, we try to test, we load test uh, all levels and layers of our system uh, for as much traffic as we can throw at it to try to raise our level of confidence to say the systems that we built can withstand uh, what turned out to be for us actually the largest uh, amount of unique users and page impressions that we've had in the company's history. And it actually matters which pages they're looking at, too, right? You can't yeah. always predict that in advance. And, we we uh, can't predict yeah. that in advance. Uh, we know that, you know, the election service page is probably going to be the largest, uh, but, you know, a lot of the instrumentation we have around that helps us uh, sort of figure that out. But uh, until we start seeing those page views come in, uh, it's a little bit of unpredictability. So... That's the theory. Let's talk about the practice. Yep. How did the day to day go for you? Oh, so for us, it was a huge win. Uh, you know, we stayed available, which is the number one thing. We uh, introduced our brand to uh, millions, tens of millions of new users uh, and new unique users, which is always really positive for our, our company, giving them a good elections experience. And, uh, you know, we managed to stay up and, and have a really big success and, and that's a big win for our team and I think for you know, Gannett as a whole. Yeah, cool, cool. So 
did you have any challenge? I'm assuming you had some challenge if there were some problems during the during the day or some things you were obviously able to meet the demand. But uh, what were some of the challenges you ran into, and how did you deal with those? Yeah, so uh, like I said, we had an unprecedented level of traffic that night for us. Uh, you know, for me personally, I've never built systems that seen that level of traffic. So, um, like I mentioned earlier, we we don't have that crutch uh, as much to rely on caching, and so when we're fetching. Things like the, uh, the elections data to present in the page, it goes back to our API management here and, and goes back to data storage to fetch that data. Um, and because of their increased requests, it's a lot of stress on the downstream API tier. And so for us, uh, it's not as trivial to scale horizontally uh, when you have persistent data source and things like that. And so we stress that pretty bad, but uh, we managed to fight through those issues and never had any user impacting issues. So that's really what's most important for us. So you think about the, you know, about availability and scalability. Mm -hmm. and they're, they're very much related, but they're different things too. Which of those two is the bigger challenge for you? Is it to keep your system properly scaled or is it to keep it actually running? What's, what's the hardest part? For us, those two things are always intertwined. Uh, you know, if we're underscaled because we got a sudden influx of traffic, it's very likely that we're not going to be available for much longer under that situation. So uh, being being properly scaled means being available for us, at least. Uh, and it's it's easy to scale your front-end web tier for the most part. I think most people have figured out how to do that easily these days. But, you know, like I mentioned, when you start getting down into the more persistent data stores, your SQL servers of the world, and, and things like that, it becomes a lot bigger of a challenge. We're talking about cross-region uh, replication, for example. Uh, those become a lot harder problems to solve, and scaling those are a lot more challenging. Cool. So obviously, Election Day was a big day. You'll have other big days in the future, certainly four years, another Election Day, but you'll have other big days as well, big news days. You mentioned Super Bowl, and mm -hmm. there's another one. What lessons are you taking from Election Day that you think will apply and help you continue to do a good job as your traffic grows for future events? Yeah, uh, well, so for elections, we got to prove out a new technology stack, uh, which was really cool for us. Uh, we ran it on Kubernetes and Docker, which was uh, the first time we'd actually done that in production. Some people called us crazy for uh, taking a first stab at it on election night. But it offered uh, a lot of really big advantages for us. Actually, would want to reiterate that and make sure you said that. Yeah. You used Docker and Kubernetes for the first time yes. during uh, election. Yeah, and then the Google guys called us crazy when we told them that, too. Uh, but, <laughs> but, uh, um, yeah. Well, and, and so, it, and obviously, uh, under a situation like that, we would have loved an unlimited amount of time to be more prepared for something like that. But, uh, proving that out and saying, hey, it worked and it was really good, and, and we took, you know, the biggest advantage I think most people realize of that is the speed of deployments. And so, you know, in looking back in retrospect and saying, hey, uh, you know, we were able to fight some of the capacity issues because, you know, we weren't the only ones covering elections in Amazon that night. Um, and, you know, the speed that it gave us mid-election night to say, hey, I know Lee talked about earlier in his slides, you know, how can we shorten the feedback cycle and, and get people closer to the data? We can have a production bug reported and have it fixed in, produ in production in minutes. Uh, so for us, if we could move more of our, you know, API stack and into Docker and run that on Kubernetes as well, that would have been really uh, advantageous for us. And, and I think we're going to continue moving in that direction as we keep proving it out and tuning it and making it better. Cool. So the, the ultimate goal is your entire stack will be um, in that environment or sense. something like yeah, that. Yeah, and, and, you know, uh, just getting better and faster in general, I think, is going to be a big uh, advantage for us. Cool. Know. So let's go. Let's talk about of, of high availability and focus on that for a while. So... The ultimate leading question is, what tools do you use that help you improve your, uh, uh, keep your availability high? Yeah, well, so Neuralic yeah. is the big one, right? Uh, and, and there's different aspects of that. Um, so making sure that we see all the infrastructure-level metrics uh, and collecting just data like that as well. But uh, it's also uh, 
important to monitor, I think, the user experience uh, and that side of it and, and making sure that ultimately, uh, just because we have set thresholds and, and alerting, uh, I'm sure most people at some point have said, you know, oh, my system failed, but uh, I didn't get alerted, right? And so we're down, but nobody knew until somebody called and complained to customer service, right? So uh, for us, you know, monitoring those uh, metrics is, is just a, a single piece of that. Okay, okay. So um, I talked about the journey, the digital intelligence yep. stack, and uh, um, and I think actually I can go back to that. Um, so where do you see your biggest... Um, uh, where's your biggest focus right now in this journey? Where are you and where do you see you moving? So we came uh, in as traditional uh, sort of operationally minded people and, and our team, you know, started off, we had 40 development teams and we started off building what we call the platform as a service at Kinect uh, roughly two years ago. And so we said, all right, we're going to collect these operational metrics, the disks, uh, the CPU, memory type metrics, and, and monitor systems, and that was cool. Then we got into uh, application monitoring and, and performance and browser, and how's the user experience? Uh, and, and so we started collecting all this data. We have a ton of data. And, and it's really hard, and, I'm, and I know I've gotten some talks uh, and Lee's thoughts about it. We have all this data, but what do we do with it? How do we make sense of it? It was a real value. So now we have the application teams and the developers have direct access to that data, and they can see how each line of their code performs. But for us, the real value, and we're not quite there yet, so we're sort of in the middle right now, is we have all this data. We can actually see, uh, for example, on our election page, which candidate our users are clicking on their profiles more. And, and there's some invaluable intelligence to be derived from that. And so how, how do we take that and say, and go to the business, the bean counters, the finance people, the ad ops people, and say, we, we have this intelligence. It doesn't really mean much to me as somebody who wants to keep the lights on and make sure that everything works, but I think you guys would really care about this. So having the business side more involved in ingesting and making sense of this data, I think, is where the really high, higher order value of it is. So you've really been the uh, bottom-up approach. You've yeah, definitely. So we started, you know, yeah. in the lower tier, and you know, we're trying to work our way, basically spread through the business yeah. uh, in an organic way, but push our way through and say, hey, we got all these cool things that we really think are valuable to the business. So, okay, cool. Um, let's talk a little bit about AWS now. Mm -hmm. um, we're, this is... AWS is a big show. Uh, you obviously have a big presence here, too. You yep. obviously use a lot of AWS. Yep. Um, tell me the role that AWS performs. Are, are, you, a, are you a hybrid uh, customer with uh, your own data centers as well as the cloud? Um, how do you make use of the cloud? How is the cloud important to you? So we, we present the, our clouds uh, to our development teams uh, via Scalar, which is a, a cloud management platform. And uh, this provides self-service provisioning to our development teams to request resources. And so this sits on top of AWS. And for us, uh, we're very heavy in AWS. We're primarily in AWS. We also own a couple of physical data centers, uh, which we've had for quite a while um, before we went into AWS. And so we have uh, some open stack there as well. Um, but for us, we're going to continue to push into AWS and the cloud in general. And, and that involves also making sure that our apps, it's not, it's not lift and shift, as like people like to call that, but we want to make uh, our applications cloud native and, and really take advantage of the fact that they're running in the cloud. So you're not, so to you, the cloud isn't just a data, another data center. No. It is, it is much more than that. The dynamic nature we were talking about earlier yeah. and, is really what you care about. Yeah, and for us, uh, we're really big on uh, disposable infrastructure with that. Yeah. And so we're heavy users of Chef as well. And so we uh, don't believe in, in creating a server uh, and leaving it there for four years uh, to do its thing on the side. Uh, we will throw away our instances quite frequently. I think the average age of our instances is probably less than a day. So uh, we we will continue to you know spin up thousands of instances to do deploys and throw them away and move them around uh, because it also lets us build for failure. And so we can throw things away. They can fail. We can reprovision. 
and and not be concerned about that. Cool. Now you brought some charts with you yeah. tonight. You wanna let's go and take a look at those. He tells these are all election day, election night yeah, results. So these are our exciting pretty graphs from election day. Okay. Um so this is uh some charts that we from monitoring our Kubernetes infrastructure and, and what was important for us from this perspective is to understand uh how many containers, where they're running. Uh and and one of the big problems we actually had leading up to election night was IO uh, throughput on our Kubernetes clusters. And so that's another thing that we uh, were looking for. Um, and making sure uh, that we had insight into me, uh, our Kubernetes workers were being well spread and scheduled uh, and not having an overload on one side. Uh, so these are some of the metrics we were capturing uh, using actually a New Relic infrastructure agent. Uh, so that let us have that level of confidence that, uh, you know, we knew that the system was healthy throughout the night. And this was just up on the TV all night and, all of us were spread around the country and in a war room till four in the morning, making sure that we were good. Cool. So I, I'm, I'm noticing the spikes in the IO reads per second yep. lower left. So what are, are those um, traffic volume spikes? Yeah, so they... if you actually see the timestamp, it started right around 6 p.m. when results uh, started to close mm -hmm. on the East Coast and then uh, carried into the next morning. Uh, probably. It's extremely spiky. It's uh, like almost there's nothing except this. Yeah, events. and so what actually is uh, most likely happening there is uh, we had about 170 code deploys that night uh, for the various services, including the web and the API tier. Midnight, we actually moved the API tier onto the Kubernetes as well because we had to fix an issue and couldn't get enough capacity uh, to deploy the servers. So they decided to stick in a container and deploy it on Kubernetes. Uh, that's pretty brave. <laughs> but uh, so okay. I gotta stop you. There. I gotta go yeah. through this again. So, election night, first time Kubernetes, yep. first time Docker, yes. and 170 deploys during yes. the election night. Yes. And, and so, <laughs> uh, I wouldn't recommend listen. That listen to that. It works. That's the way dynamic companies make their applications dynamic during during critical times, and it works. Yeah, and so uh, for us, it, it was important that, you know, we can shorten that feedback cycle and uh, get the code out there and the fixes out there and, and keep streaming those results to our users. Uh, but, yeah, it's spiky. Uh, we get bursts of traffic. That probably correlates very well with, hey, you know, there's a lull in uh, when election results are coming in. You get the East Coast and then maybe an hour and then you get another burst. So, yeah. yeah. Cool. Uh, you've got another slide here. Yeah, so this is a fancy, uh, we had a big lift in traffic graph. So this is just the uh, origin hits for the page that we were monitoring and instrumenting for the election results. And so, uh, and it shows the spread of pages. And, and this is across all of our brands uh, at origin. And uh, you see we have a lot of page views uh, to different endpoints on the election service. But... Uh, like I said earlier, there's a lot of intelligence that can be derived from these pages as well because we can see how long users are staying on the page. And for us, uh, you know, we care about is there a performance reason that they're leaving our pages or, or not? Or the product people might care and say, if we change the layout of the page, is that driving our users away? Uh, but I think the business as well might care and say, hey, we're publishing content that's not fitting, you know, to what our message or uh, something that our users find interesting. So uh, there's a lot of different value to derive from these types of uh, metrics and not just operationally minded people. Cool. cool. And I think we have one more chart here. Yeah. So the really cool thing here is uh, we have a feature team uh, called the API team uh, within Platform as a Service that developed uh, a service that tags releases inside of uh, New Relic when new code goes out so that it inserts a marker basically in our graphs uh, so that we can correlate those to changes in metrics. And, and this is an example of that. So you see that there's a vertical gray bar uh, where a release went out and there's a change in the CPU usage uh, right immediately when that happened. And so for us, uh, being able to correlate those uh, as well is really valuable. Cool. So I'd like to open up the floor now to questions. Um, I have, there's two microphones here. If you could come up and stand up by the microphone, I'd appreciate it. They are recording this session, so we need you to use the microphone. Would you like to start? Yeah. Uh, so my question is, how do you handle basically the SLA in terms of the publishing and the, up, the fast updates versus the caching on that? Yeah. And how, 
how fun are you? Ha how much fun are you having there with the end users and saying, my update isn't coming in as fast as I want? And do you actually have an SLA with your editors and whatnot? Yeah, we do. We do have an SLA um, that is set by, uh, I believe, the editorial. And uh, so they say our our SLA, and we're agreeing to give our users, uh, I think I think it was something like 90 seconds uh, from when the AP publishes results. Uh, so we're reading the AP stream like everybody else was. And so they say that it has to be live on the site to all users within 90 seconds of receiving those results. And Does that include also with the breaking news stuff? Because that's going to that's a, That's separate. That wasn't for elections. Uh, for breaking news, uh, we use different TTLs on the CDN. Uh, it's not as aggressive. Um, but, yeah, so that's that's all set by editorial, though. Okay. And, and so they said this is what you need to do, and, and we solved the engineering challenges around how to make that work in a reliable fashion. How did you how do you handle stuff where you know breaking news you can cache that pretty quick? Yeah. Sorry, I don't mean to go to a double no. question, but no. uh, weather is a isn't always an interesting thing to me. Where you got school closings and other things, and where updates and you get a mixture of that, where you, it's so much harder to cache that. Is that just more handled on the on your your uh, horizontal scaling, or is that? Yeah. So and and the interesting thing about breaking news, uh, there's there's a couple approaches. Uh, since we have a lot of local brands, a lot of those types of breaking news events will hit just those sites. But a lot of times when that happens, um, when you have caching, it, because it's especially it's a large breaking event, like uh, an attack or a death, right? You get a flood of traffic that will hit before it can actually be cached and warned. So we need to take that hit. Uh, and when you have a local property, they might not be prepared for that. So staying up. Uh, is, is a challenge, and that's a lot uh, where the advantages of some things like Docker come in because we can scale that out way faster than provisioning VMs, uh, but a lot of it's just horizontal scaling at the web layer uh, because the data tier will cache the results, at least for the back end, so we won't uh, crush that after it gets in the cache, and then making sure the web stays available until our CDN can catch the rest. So basically on updates, you're just you're just slamming the cache to clear it out for that. So, yep. Yeah. All right. That's a, thanks, sir. Thank you. Any other questions? Okay. So um, I, I am, uh, I do also want to announce that uh, Brian, as well as Eric and the rest of his team, are going to be at the New Relic booth at 4 o'clock today, and they'll go through a Q&A session as well, some more questions from us, as well as uh, uh, be able to answer your questions as well. Um, but um, what else can you tell me about how your your um, your, your night went? Um, or, 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 um, yeah, give me one other fact about what's going on. What, what We've got a little bit more time, so let's keep going. Yeah, uh, about election night. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, one of you. Thank you. Thinking at my feet here. So, so, <laughs> Thank so you. um a sort of, I, I think of newspapers as like the companies yeah. that are dying, not cool technology companies. Um, maybe talk a little bit about like what it's like to work at a place where you're doing Kubernetes, Docker, like all the cool kid stuff. Um, and maybe talk about that transition a little bit. You stole the very last question. <laughs> Go ahead. Yeah. No, uh, How cool is it to work at Gannett? I think it's actually awesome. And uh, I'll plug and say that if you guys are interested, uh, we're hiring. We're looking for top talent. Uh, just throw that out there for a room full of talented people. Um, and so you come find us at the booth later as well. Uh, and we've got open jobs. We hire across the country. Uh, we have quite a, a large number of remote folks. But working at Gannett's really awesome. A lot of people have that thought of being a traditional publishing company. We're the big dinosaur with the newspapers that are in the hotels. But uh, we, like Lee mentioned earlier, we're leading digital first. Digital is really most important for us. And it's the best and most efficient way, at least we think, that we can deliver uh, our content to uh, our readers. And, and that lets us get across all platforms as well. So we're in mobile. We're in... Uh, smart TVs, we're in desktop, Windows 10 apps, we're in web. And, and so being able to do that and then work on all the new cool technologies is a really exciting thing. Uh, and Kubernetes and Docker, it's a hard problem to solve. And being able to do that on election night and say, hey, we, we got this right and we served our users and we 
did something that a lot of people think might be really crazy, but it was really fun and really challenging problem to solve, and at the end of the day, it's really rewarding to do. So would you do that again? Would you do that massive of a change? <laughs> yeah, uh, I mean, in retrospect, it's definitely really stressful, uh, but uh, I think at the end of the day, it's something you put a feather in your cap and say, yeah. you know, I did that, and it was really cool, and go and say, hey, you know, this is a problem we solved, and go to other people and say, how did you, you know, cover election night, or how did you guys cover uh, a major concert ticket sales? Uh, how are you solving these types of problems? And it's good to just talk to people and, and figure those things out, you know, because everybody has a different approach to those types of problems. But for, for us, uh, it was, you know, I'd probably do it again. And like I said, if we had more time, we probably would have done it even more. Great, okay. Uh, any other questions? Yeah, another question over here. So obviously USA Today is your, probably your biggest customer, but you said you have a, a bunch of different other application teams that you're working with. Um, so I'm doing something similar, but uh, I was wondering, all those application teams probably have different needs for their infrastructure yeah. and different stuff that they're doing, and how do you guys effectively manage all those different needs while still kind of operating on one, one singular team? Yeah, uh, that's definitely a huge challenge. Uh, you know, we have 40-some-odd uh, development teams who – some of them writing Node apps, some of them write GoLang, uh, Python, Ruby. So it's a different, uh, it's, a, it's a challenge of uh, doing a one-size-fits-all approach versus, uh, you know, it's hard when we have, uh, you know, a team of maybe 20 people to be really white-gloved, uh, catered approach. Uh, so for us, uh, you know, we, we have a couple of different approaches. We have embedded resources in those teams that have some of the operational knowledge and are very closely tied to uh, some of the work we're doing and can and help those teams along with, you know, things like writing chef cookbooks or uh, just best practices around configuration and writing Docker files and, and things like that. Um, you know, we also developed uh, things like the Light Platform where, you know, they say, we really don't want to write chef code or, or things like that as much as we would love them to be more involved. Uh, we, you know, let, give them an easier path to deploy their app, but it's going to be in an opinionated way that we think is the best practice for them to get their apps out there. Uh, so there's definitely different approaches for different levels of teams that uh, want to get involved, but it's also a cultural battle. We're coming from a place where we didn't have a digital presence, you know, not very long ago, to now we are moving towards a really transformative period where digital's first and it's at the forefront and so uh, shifting the company culture into adopting all of these new technologies in a very rapid pace is definitely a challenge. Mm -hmm. So you kind of push people or help try and help people to do the chef cookbooks and the Docker containers yeah, and, and stuff like that, but also allow the other customers who have different views on things to try and use some of their other tools that they see, or do you kind of restrict that? No, we, we try, we want to foster what we call the, the Gannett development community internally, and, and so we accept pull requests back to, you know, our, our maintained cookbooks that our team writes or our scripts and automation tools and, and things like that. You know, if they have contr contributions they want to make, we totally welcome that. Because it also takes a load off of our team for developing those things. Uh, and, and if they have cool ideas and they say, hey, we want to do these things, we totally welcome that because mm -hmm. we're, we're not the only ones that have ideas in the world. And so, and then we think that's positive and that's how we're all going to grow together. Uh, you know, but it, as long as it's within, the, you know, our established best practices and you know, opening security groups to the world mm -hmm. is probably not, like, the best thing to do. Yeah. So that's not a contribution we would welcome. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so it, we totally welcome that, though. Mm -hmm. So okay, you're, Thank you. Uh, thank you very much. So your, your teams are very distributed. Are, are individual teams distributed, or are, do you have teams in one location, but you have lots of teams all over the place? Well, so we're based uh, right, right outside D.C. That's where our, our headquarters office is, but... Uh, you know, given all of our brands that spread out very nationally, uh, we have development teams that are spread out in Phoenix and Cincinnati and Indianapolis. So we're all very spread out, and that presents unique problems as well. Does how does monitoring help keep those groups together? Does it help? Yeah, it does because uh, all of the data is still ingested in one place, so we can all have the same way of talking about our monitoring and tools. Same language. Same language, right? Yeah. You have a question? Oh. Yeah. Oh. yeah, so uh, traditionally with monitoring, you would have uh, an agent on the servers, and but now we're moving to serverless architecture. Yeah. Um, do you Have you used 
So in the serverless, uh, like say the data, RDS databases or Lambda or anything else that um, AWS offers, and if so, how are you monitoring those? And, yeah. and what tools are you using to monitor those? So uh, we we do. Uh, we use Lambda. Actually, I'm probably the biggest user of Lambda, much to the dismay of my manager. But <laughs> but uh, so that's it, actually a really hard problem. And I can plug Neuralic. I think just came out like this week with uh, Lambda integration. And I actually haven't had a chance to play with it. But that actually might solve part of that problem. Is is hey, we can actually monitor the performance of our Lambda applications. I think it ingests some stuff to CloudWatch right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's not 100%. And testing that stuff also becomes really hard to get it, like, fully fleshed out into the CI process and things like that. Uh, we also do use RDS uh, since we don't have a huge DBA team. I'm not a DBA. Our developers certainly aren't DBAs. And so we make use of those services where it makes sense uh, because it lets us, you know, get out of the way of trying to figure out the best processes of provisioning and managing a database and backing it up and everything like that. And just focus on what we're good at, which is writing, you know, content apps. And keeping the configuration of all your databases consistent yeah. and working correctly. Yeah, yeah. The, the, yeah, it becomes a big mess that I don't even understand, really, so. <laughs> yeah. I, yeah. I will put a plug-in for our infrastructure product. Come take a look at it at our booth. And uh, we try and solve a lot of those problems you're talking about. And like you mentioned, and thank you for that, we, we just announced support for Lambda on Tuesday. So uh, come take a look at that. Great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you share uh, some of the best practices or pro- gotcha like problem that you ran into with uh, using New Relic? Best practices around using New Relic? Yeah. Uh, for us, uh, the biggest thing is we, we like to call it a single pane of glass, right? So we, we want to grab all the data from all the different places and put them in one place. And so, so do you actually have just one account uh, in New Relic for yeah. everybody? Yeah. Uh, and, and when we uh, have acquisitions and everything else, uh, we also bring them onto the same accounts so we can keep all the data in one place. Everybody can see, you know, all the things. So for us, we have the infrastructure agent running on our servers, so we get all of the system-level data. Then we pull in the AWS account, so that's correlated with our instance tagging. We're very big on tagging uh, to the, you know, dismay of some of the companies who are trying to index the 300 tags we have. Uh, they're not huge fans of that. And we're like, just like, totally cool with it, though, which is awesome. So. But, uh, um, so, and then, you know, the APM stuff. So it, that requires more working with the developers sometimes to say, hey, you know, let's start instrumenting your app and then getting that, you know, trace level uh, view into the app as well. So there's lots of different layers around it. But for us, the biggest thing is that at the end of the day, we can we have the release tagging where we can say, hey, we got this marker right here. The release went out. We can see with the infrastructure stuff uh, that uh, it affected our metrics. And then we have the, the tagging to say, uh, this line of code on this box behaved poorly in this farm that's owned by this team. Right. So just having it all in one place and then being able to correlate everything is a really big value, at least for me, but I'm speaking as operationally minded folks, right? Um, in terms of uh, business analytics, uh, to what extent do you, uh, are you guys um, doing business analytics um, using uh, Relic? Not a ton yet, but we want what to be, Not a ton yet, but we want to be there because uh, there's, there's a lot of value. Even just taking the, all the, the, the metrics that we've captured and doing the business analytics on that because it's all there, we can see where the users are going and what they're doing. And so for the business metric that you guys are uh, sending to uh, New Relic, are you guys using custom metrics or, uh, or how you guys... Uh, yeah, we, we leverage a lot of custom metrics. So some of it just comes uh, naturally from uh, tracking the apps themselves anyway uh, and, and, and where the users are clicking through the site and, and how long they're doing those types of things. Uh, but we also do push uh, some custom metrics as well. And I think once we start wrapping uh, other... Uh, sections of the business into these tools. They might have different ideas about the metrics that they want to get in there, too. I'm not a business analytics person or a finance person or anything like that, so that sort of stretches where I know and my knowledge goes, but I assume that they'll want to get uh, their own custom metrics in there, maybe stuff around ads and things like that. Sorry if I'm hogging all the questions. Uh, One last question. Regarding uh, custom metric, uh, do you guys have any standards or best practices in place on you know, um, how to namespace them, for example, yeah. that kind of thing? Yeah, since we have so many teams, 
you know, name spacing actually becomes really important so that nobody steps on each other's toes. So typically what we do is we, we have, uh, we just prefix uh, anything they use that comes. This actually goes with uh, cookbooks for chef. It goes with service discovery uh, uh, and, and metrics and, and tagging as well. We prefix it all with their team name, basically, so that uh, we know that it's unique across the platform so that nobody overwrites each other's stuff. Thank you. Uh, I guess one more question. So um, I know this talk isn't really about containers, but I'm just a little bit curious about yeah. your use of um, containers. And can you just talk a little bit about how you make the breakdown between what you've containerized and what you what is not containerized, in particular, um, like web servers, the web tiers? Have you gone the route of containerizing that, or is it just back-end services and background stuff? So uh, that, and then also uh, that sort of steps into an interesting uh, sort of what our role is within the organization. We're, we want to set best practices, but we also don't want to tell people, hey, you can't, you can't do things either. So it's sort of striking a balance there. But, but the way our team sees it is there's no hard line approach that says, like, oh, hey, you can't stick a container. As long as it's like security-wise or anything else, you're not doing anything that's really against, you know, common sense or best practices. But uh, what I will say is uh, what we're still very exploratory on is uh, uh, things like Couchbase uh, and, and persistent data in general is, is obviously a really big uh, challenge with right. containers and Docker. So uh, we're, we're working on that. We, are, like, we got some really cool uh, DBA guys that are you know, working on figuring out uh, sort of best approach to that because I think it still would provide a lot of advantages for us. But something like that would be a bigger challenge. We are already very spread out with microservices uh, across all of our organizations, and we're very chatty with each other because all the teams are, our content team is pulling from the, or the CMS team is pulling from the content team, right? And so they all talk to each other, all very broken down microservices. So for us, it made a lot of sense, and it was a very natural progression to go a lot towards that route. Sure. sure. Cool. Thank, Thank you. you. Hi. I would like to ask about the um, metrics, but for media content, how do you track this experience, user experience? For media content? Video, uh, video on demand, uh, all the, the video that reproduce about the site. So our, a lot of our media and stuff is, uh, is hosted uh, out of, I think, third-party providers. So uh, that's a lot of that's tracked uh, over on a a third-party business side, I think. So I don't know a ton about uh, tracking that. I don't know if we're doing a ton of that uh, instrumenting-wise within our platform, at least off the top of my head. So it's sort of outside of what I know. Okay. Sorry about that. No problem, thanks. Okay. So just a reminder, uh, 4 o'clock at our booth, and once again, it's a great place to work, yeah. right? It's awesome. Okay. Come find me. Uh, we can get you the link to the job site if you want to apply, because it's awesome. <laughs> See? Thank you. Thanks, Thank you very much. <laughs>